What a day. I got a Christmas band, Christmas choir, Christmas train, Christmas tree, Christmas ornaments. Uh, yeah, you can have a seat. It almost feels redundant for me to stand up here and say, Merry Christmas, but nonetheless, Merry Christmas. You know, uh, to say that I have been looking forward to this particular service would be a very true statement. In fact, it was in uh, August of this year that I first started planning. I sat in my office and I thought of a story, uh, a, a Bible story, that I felt was supposed to serve as a, kind of the centerpiece of this sermon. And, and there's two things I want to tell you right up front about this particular story. Uh, number one, I think you've heard of it. I think you've heard of it whether uh, you spent your whole life going to church or maybe today is the, the first time you ever walked into church for the first time in a really long time. Which kind of gets me thinking, by the way. If today is your first time ever walking into a church or your first time in a long time, I don't know what kind of conceptions or even misconceptions that you walk in with in regards to church. So, so let me clear a, a couple things up for you right up front. Um, this is not a us and them kind of church. You know, where we kind of have this concept of perfection or near perfection within these walls and uh, far from it outside of these walls. This is not an us and them church. This is more of a us and us church. In fact, we don't have a lot of rules here, but one of them is there's no perfect people allowed at all. Uh, secondly, this is not really a, a we and they church. What I mean, and maybe let's get specific now. Let me talk about you and me. There's a lot more that you and I have in common than differences that we have. And, and therefore, th there should be a lot more things that kind of pull us together than drag us apart. So I literally want to tell you, whether you're here for the first time, first time in a long time, or whether you're here every single week, you're among friends. When I say that we're glad you're here, I mean it. That in this busy time of year, this busy season, that you would take an hour out of your time to be here is an honor. So the one thing I want to tell you about this story that's going to kind of be the centerpiece of our sermon today is you've probably heard of it, actually. And, and the second thing I should tell you is it probably is not a story that you ever imagined would serve as the centerpiece of a Christmas sermon. I'll tell you in a second what the story is, but first let me tell you kind of one of the main characters. One of the main characters is a guy named David. Now David is, uh, I guess, one of the most well-known kings in all of human history. But today we're going to be talking about pre-King David, okay, before he became a king. And it's really interesting when you look at David, by the way, the threads that connect the life of David with the life of Jesus. Number one, we see David first step onto the stage of human history in this little town called Bethlehem. David's hometown was Bethlehem. He was raised in Bethlehem. It was in Bethlehem, by the way, that the prophet Samuel uh, anointed this 15-year-old kid named David to become the next king, the future king of Israel. It's really interesting, by the way, when you read that story, because it's very evident, actually, that when Samuel the prophet anointed this 15-year-old king named David, that it was only Samuel and God who knew what they were anointing David for. David didn't know, his seven older brothers who were watching didn't know, and most definitely David's father, Jesse, did not know because soon after Samuel left Bethlehem, he stuck David back out into the field to continue his life as a shepherd. 
It's interesting when you kind of look at the threads connecting David and Jesus. Jesus first stepped into the spotlight of human history in a little town called Bethlehem, David's hometown. He was born as an ancestor. Uh, he was born out of the lineage of David himself. Jesus, too, was anointed to be king. In fact, before Jesus was even conceived, an angel appeared to, to Mary and said, Mary, you're going you're gonna to bear a child, and your child is going to be the king of all kings, the name above all names, the Lord of all lords, that his kingdom will go on forever. And on the night that Jesus was born, uh, wise men set out from Persia, made a long journey. And when they arrived in Israel, they presented Jesus with gifts that literally were fit for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it's amazing, too, when you think about it, that on the night that Jesus was born, in a manger, in a stable in David's hometown, in that little town called Bethlehem, that the first people that God would, uh, would, would send an announcement of the birth of his son were a bunch of shepherds. Like there was actually shepherds in the fields near Bethlehem, keeping watch over their flocks that night. And an, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified, obviously. But the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you tidings of great joy that'll be for all people. <laughs> Tonight in the town of David, a, a savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you'll, you'll find that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a great heavenly host, and they sang glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, and goodwill. It's funny, too, because when the angels and the heavenly host left, the shepherds had a little huddle, they had a little meeting. <laughs> and they said, what should we do? Should we, should we stay in the field, or should we go check it out? And uh, they, they unanimously decided they were going to go check it out. I don't know if they left one shepherd back, but they actually, the Bible says, they ran into Bethlehem, and they found everything exactly as the angel said it would be incredible. So what's the story? What's this story that you've probably heard of and maybe never thought would be the centerpiece of a Christmas sermon? The story is actually the story of David and Goliath. It's funny too because um, you're going to find a hope in this story tonight. You're going to find a hope in, the, in this story unexpectedly maybe. And Leah was talking earlier about how it, it, if you showed up to church today for the first time or for the first time in a long time, who knows the reason, you know? Maybe like Leah said, there was 10 Southsiders bugging you. Maybe it was the billboards on Vetter. Maybe it was the signs on Stevenson. Maybe it was Instagram. Maybe it was Facebook. Um, maybe someone bribed you to be here. Maybe they blackmailed you. Maybe they tied you up, put, the, put you in the trunk of their car, and dragged you here against your will. Welcome to Southside. We're so glad you're here. But what I want to suggest to you, whatever the outside reason is, there's a reason behind the reason. Because today, as I'm speaking, there's going to be moments when you find a hope that, you, that goes deeper than any hope you've ever heard before. And that's the reason behind the reason. So I'm sitting in my office in August, thinking of what I'm going to speak about today. And God knew you would be here. And that's the reason behind the reason. A hope that defines this thing that we call Christmas. So the story of David and Goliath. So the Israelites are at war. They're still led by King Saul, 
and they're fighting the Philistines. And the Philistines actually throw a bit of a curveball at the Israelites. They throw out this nine-foot giant named Goliath. He's fit and ready to fight. He's ripped and ready to rumble. I said that, but I did. Okay, so he's big, okay? He's scary. Let, let's just read it, okay? So Goliath stood there and called out to the Israelite troops. Why bother using your whole army? Am I not a Philistine enough for you? And you're all committed to Saul, aren't you? So pick your best fighter and pit him against me. If he gets the upper hand and kills me, the Philistines will all become your slaves. But if I get the upper hand and kill him, you'll all become our slaves and serve us. I challenge the troops of Israel this day. Give me a man. Let's fight it out together. When Saul and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified and lost all so the, the Israelites are in a bit of trouble here. Uh, nobody in the army, no one on the front lines that day, nobody maybe in their right mind wanted a piece of Goliath. And I got to tell you, I just love the next two words of the story. The next two words of the story are just so epic. Listen, okay. So they were terrified and lost all hope. Ready for the next two words? Enter David. Okay, enter, what, 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 what an epic two lines. They were terrified and lost all hope. Enter David. Whoa. In fact, I, I, I want to kind of set the scene. I want, I, want, I want you to help me if you could, if I could be so bold as to ask you, do you want to stand to your feet for just a second, please? Thank you so much. You're so enthusiastic. I see you. You're like, come on, Mike. We didn't come here to stand to our feet. Okay, I, 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 I just, I, I just, I just want to get, I guess, maybe a, a feel of the epicness pretty sure that's not a word, but, they, but you know what I mean? The, the epicness of, of that moment. The, they were terrified. Enter David, okay? So what I want to do is, wh- with everybody standing, and I'm going to ask you to stay standing actually for a few moments. Um, when I, when, the next time I say, enter David, can you do me a favor? Can you cheer? Like, like get, let, let's get fired up. This is an epic moment. Enter David. Okay, you ready? Okay, okay. So, yeah, get, 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 okay, we're, okay, <coughs> if you have to warm up, don't, okay? Just, it's going to be fine. You're not going to tear anything, okay? So, so, so here we go. Uh, okay. Uh, the Israelites had their backs against the wall. It looked like all was lost. On the other side of the valley stood a giant named Goliath. They were terrified. It seemed like hope was fading and darkness was descending. Where in the world would they turn? And then, enter David. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. Okay, it, it was pretty awesome. Okay, so it, it was all right. But I don't think that would be an accurate description of the scene. So we're going to try that again. Be, be, because I want to get, I, I, I want to be a little more authentic with you. I want to be a little bit more accurate with this picture, okay? So this time, I, I'm, I'm going to do the same description, uh, roughly, and then when we get to enter David, I'll, I want everyone actually just to be as quiet as you possibly can. And while we're all being real quiet, just look around the room a little bit. At everyone else being really quiet, looking around the room also, okay? So, the Israelites were in trouble. Their backs were against the wall. See, on the other side of the valley stood a giant named Goliath. They were terrified. No one wanted a piece of Goliath. Hope was fading. And darkness was descending. But just at that moment, it seemed like all was lost. 
Enter David. You can have a seat. Because the truth is, that's a little more accurate. David, at this point, was a 17-year-old shepherd boy. He was not a blip on their radar. The only reason he arrived at the front lines was to deliver some sandwiches to his three oldest brothers who were serving in the army at that time. And, and when I thought of that picture, when I thought of Enter David, when I thought of that silence, that, that kid walking up to the front lines, obviously I thought of you right away. You say, yeah, Mike, obviously you did, because just the other day I was walking out of Subway and there was a nine-foot giant with a sword taunting me. Of course you thought of me. Oh, okay, I, I, I'm guessing that didn't happen. Here's what I mean. Here, here we are near the end of 2019. And the truth is, sometime in this last year that was, you've realized that life is a bit of a battlefield. And you've faced your share of giants. I don't know exactly what it was for you. Maybe for you it was health. You were going along fine and then that phone call came. Those test results arrived and everything changed. Well, that's your giant. That's your Goliath. Maybe for you, it's more relational, you know? Your marriage was going along smooth sailing, but for whatever reason, over this last year or even longer, you hit some rough waters. To the degree that you're wondering if you're even going to make it. Well, that's your giant. Maybe it's a relationship with a, with a son or a daughter. It's amazing as a parent, you look at, at, that, at, at that kid There'll always be a kid, no matter how old they are, right? And, and you just love them so much, but it, you seem to have this inability, for whatever reason, to, to convey that love, to experience that kind of love in a relationship with them. That's your giant. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent. May, maybe for you, this holiday season, which, by the way, is like, it can be the best time of the year, but often for people, it's the time that they feel their loss most profoundly. And you're going to be sitting down at these holiday dinners, and there's going to be an empty seat at the table. I don't know why. Maybe a tragedy. Maybe conflict. But for whatever reason, at this time of year, when you see that empty seat, it hurts all the time, but it hurts especially this time of year. Well, that's your giant. And maybe for you, when it comes to relationships, it's not about conflict, it's more about quiet. You feel isolated and you feel lonely. It's weird because there's some people in here today and others look at you and go, man, that, that guy has it all together. He's so popular. You know, everyone looks up to him or, 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 or she's just so with it. And, and everyone, everyone admires her and, and, everyone, and she has so many friends on, on, on Facebook and, and so many followers, you know. But deep down inside, you feel real lonely. Like nobody really, really knows you. Like you're free-falling with nobody there to catch you. Well, that's your giant. That's your Goliath. Maybe it's addiction. At some point in 2019, what you realize is 
you went from feeling guilty about that activity or that substance that you were using, and you went from feeling guilty to feeling trapped, imprisoned, with no way out. And the truth is you're scared because you're not sure what your next step is, but you don't like feeling this way, and you're not sure if you're ever going to feel free again. Well, that's your giant. That's your Goliath. Maybe for you it's the, the, the fact that worries about tomorrow or, fear or, or regrets about yesterday are kind of like blocking out any joy that you have today. Like maybe you've heard this phrase before, um, that worry, worry, listen to this, this is so profound, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its trouble, but it does empty today of its beauty, its joy, and its strength, right? And you get that, and you've heard that, and that makes sense, but you can't stop worrying. Like, you're, you're anxious about next week. You're anxious about next month. You're anxious about next year. You're anxious about what's coming 15 minutes from now. And the problem is for you, this, this worry is like this big giant that's blocking out any kind of joy, any kind of beauty, any kind of strength, any kind of courage of today. Or maybe for you, it's, it's not worry, it's regret. You look back at this painful, unchangeable past. There was things that you did that you should not have done, but you can't take, you can't take them back. There was things that you said, you shouldn't have said them, but you can't take them back. There was things that were done to you that should never have been done, but you can't change them. There were things that were said to you that never should have been said. And the problem is, is like you're hanging on to this painful, unchangeable past. And it's become a giant in your life because it's blocking out any kind of ability to see any kind of hope, any kind of beauty, any kind of joy of today. That's your Goliath. For you, it might be financial. It might be professional. You know, maybe, maybe you're just exhausted. Like I think there's people here today that if you were completely honest, you feel like our culture has given you a raw deal. We have a culture that kind of promised you that if you got an, an, an enough pleasure and enough money and this kind of car and this kind of house and this many vacations that, and this many promotions that it would just be enough. And so you've been running and 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 running but you just can't find that elusive enough. You can't get there. And you're exhausted. And maybe for some of you this 2019 was the year that you've been numbing yourself, you've been convincing yourself that it's all good all the time and you're going to make it, but there's this problem. Just, just as you put your head down on the pillow at night, there's this thought that you can't shake, and here's what it is. There's got to be more to life than this. The Greeks used to say, um, you're going to break the bow if you keep it always bent. You're going to break the bow if you keep it always bent. And I kind of think about that when I think about our culture, you know? We're just aiming and shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting, and we're trying to find that target. What's that target? Enough. But we can't get there. And maybe for you, that's your giant. That's your Goliath. And so when I see that 17-year-old punk kid, that shepherd kid, walk onto the battlefield with a sandwich delivery, I, I actually think of you. 
because life is a battlefield. And on the other side of the valley <laughs> of this battlefield called life, there, there, there's the giant. Exhaustion, anxiety, regret, and shame, and addiction, sickness, and strife, and empty seats around tables. I guess for me, I could typify all that, summarize all that in one word. There's the giant, and the giant is darkness. And yes, I understand that in this light, there is light, and there is beauty, and there is hope, and there is joy, but there's also darkness, and enter you into this battlefield called life. Hey, do me a favor. Can we stand up again? Because I want to set the stage. I want to set the stage. I, I, I want to use that epic line, okay? So, 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 so when I say enter you, I want, I want us to celebrate. I want us to cheer, okay? Sometimes it feels like your back's against the wall. And on the other side of this battlefield called life, there's this giant called darkness. And sometimes it feels like, you know what? Hope is fading. And darkness is descending. But just when it feels like there is no hope, enter you. So now can I be a little more authentic? Can I be a little more real? Because if you're anything like me, there's days that you feel that way. But there's lots of days that you feel a little bit overwhelmed and overmatched and underqualified, a long shot at best. So let's try that again, and you're probably familiar with the pattern by now. Next time I say enter you, I'd love it if, you could, if we could just be dead silent and just look around the room at the other people being dead silent. So here you are in this battlefield called life. And on the other side of the valley, there stands this giant called darkness. Your back's against the wall. But just like it, just, just when it feels like hope is fading and darkness is descending and there's nowhere else to turn, enter you. You can have a seat. I promise I won't do that to you again, most likely. See, I feel like the second one maybe more closely describes those moments that we had in 2019. But I feel like I need to tell you at this juncture that the battle's not over and neither is your story. Let me show you what I mean. So David steps up to the front lines on a sandwich delivery. What's in it for the man, says David, who kills the Philistine and gets rid of this ugly blot at Israel's honor? Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with a man and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. What is it with you, replied David. All I did was ask a question. Ignoring his brother, he turned to someone else, asked the same question, and got the same answer 
as before. I want to suggest to you that as we have a vision for 2020, you like that? Every pastor in the world is going to use that a lot over the next. As we look ahead towards 2020 and try to sharpen our vision, um, you didn't think it was funny. So, and, it, and it wasn't really, actually, now that I, I wish I wouldn't have said it, but I did. So um, <coughs> I think you need to take a page out of David's book. I, th I think for some of us, we surround ourselves with discouraging people. You understand the word discourage? Discourage means to take from you your courage. That, so that sometimes we find ourselves surrounded by people who tell us that we can't and we won't and we're not and we'll never and that we're a long shot with no shot. I want to suggest to you that you take a page out of David's book in the sense that maybe it's time to turn to someone else. Start listening to other voices, people who speak vision and hope and strength and courage and victory. So, we're, yeah, we can applaud that. We can applaud that. So word starts to get around that this kid David wants a piece of Goliath. He wants a shot at the title, you know, and eventually it, it, it comes to Saul, and, and Saul sits David down and says, hey, man, good, good stuff. Love the enthusiasm. You're 17-year-old shepherd. You don't stand a chance against this guy, Goliath. He's been fighting since his youth. He's tough. And David says, oh, no, no, no. It's all good, actually. See, as a shepherd, what I've been doing is I'm out, out, when I'm out looking, for my, looking after my father's flocks in isolated fields, there's times when lions and bears come in to attack the sheep, and I defend them. And just like I defe defeated the, the, the lions and the bears, I'll defeat Goliath. And, and Saul says, okay, <laughs> which is just amazing. Okay, but, but, but let's, let's continue. Uh, then David took his shepherd's staff, selected five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in the pocket of his, his shepherd's pack. And with his sling in his hand, he approached Goliath. Huh. That's interesting. See, David's a slinger. Historians will tell you that in the time of David, about 3,000 years ago, the world's best slingers, and David most certainly would have been among them because he spent his entire life out in the field by himself with lots of time to practice, a, a world-class slinger at this time could hit a target from about 200 yards away at high velocity. What do I mean? Oh, what I mean is Goliath is in trouble. He just doesn't know it yet. What, what, what I actually mean is that out of the entire nation of Israel, Goliath picked the exact wrong 17-year-old kid to mess with. Goliath is in trouble. He just doesn't know it yet. As the Philistine paced back and forth, his shield bearer in front of him, he noticed David. He took one look down on him and he sneered. A mere youngster, apple-cheeked and peach-fussed, Philistine ridiculed David. Am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine. I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. David answered, You come at me with sword and spear and battle axe. I come at you in the name of God of the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops, when, who you, whom you curse and mock. This very day, God is handing you over to me. The whole earth will know that, 
There's an extraordinary God in Israel. And everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of sword or spear. The battle belongs to God. That roused the Philistine. And he started towards David. David took off from the front line running towards the Philistine. David reached into his pocket for a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedding the stone deeply. The Philistine crashed face down into the dirt. That's how David beat the Philistine, with a sling and a stone. He hit him and killed him. No sword for David. That's really amazing. <laughs> like, what, what started out as a sandwich delivery ended up in a battle that we're still talking about today. <laughs> like, like, like a victory that literally went down in history. That reminds me of you again. See, here's what's absolutely amazing to me. What started out for you as walking into a gym past a 30-foot Christmas tree, all decorated for Christmas, um, is going to end in a battle that's going to turn the tide of your history. What started out for you as, as walking into just a, a gymnasium all decorated for Christmas is actually uh, going to be a moment that turns the tide of your battle. A, a, a victory that actually uh, absolutely, utterly changes your history. And I want to tell you why. See, see, David says to Goliath, uh, you come at me with a battle axe. You know, but enough about your wife. Let, let's, let's talk. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I, again, again, I did it again. <laughs> David says, you come at me with all these weapons, but God's with me. I'm going to be all right. See, uh, Goliath was in trouble. He just didn't know yet. What I want to suggest to you today in your life is darkness is in trouble. It just doesn't know it yet. Out of all, all the 17-year-old kids in Israel, Goliath picked the wrong one to mess with. And what I want to suggest to you today is that darkness picked the wrong person to mess with. See, Jesus was born in a manger in a stable in David's hometown, in, in Bethlehem. And, and, and when Jesus was born, one of the names that God gave him, we've talked about it a lot already today, is the name Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. God with you. The, the same God that was with David because of Jesus is with you. The, the, the same God who fought for David fights for you. And his love is extravagant. His strength is limitless. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is this, that darkness is in trouble. <laughs> it just doesn't know it yet. That darkness picked the wrong person to mess with. One more thing. See, if you're anything like I've been at certain parts of my life, you hear this message and you hear some, some preacher standing up on a stage talking about David and Goliath and talking about how darkness is in trouble and you think to yourself that that might be true for every other person in this room but not for you. You know what I mean? 
Like, like God might love every other person in this room, but not you. God, God might have a plan for every other person in this room, but not you. Because, you, I don't know, you, ju- you, you, you just feel like you're too low. And I, and I want to draw your attention to the humble backdrop of the birth of Jesus. Isn't it amazing when you think about it? Jesus was born in this nation called Israel. Okay, but it wasn't a nation. It was a province of the Roman Empire, subjected and humiliated. And and I told you earlier that Jesus is the name above all names, the King of all kings, and the Lord of all lords. So then you would think to yourself, well, surely then he would be born in a palace. But he wasn't born in a palace, and he wasn't born in a mansion, and he wasn't born in a house. He was born in a stable. And I know we sing songs like Silent Night and, 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 and we, we, you know, it's like every, every, everything like quiet and pristine and beautiful. And the truth is that's so wrong because it was just so messy. And here's what I think. I think that, that, that God sent Jesus into human history. You know, he, he could have come as a grown man with a sword, but he came as a baby, completely helpless. And I know why. For you. Today. Because I know there's people in this room right now, you feel humiliated. You feel helpless. You feel hopeless. You feel low. And I guess what I need you to know is that Jesus came exactly to where you are. To lift you up. And to bring you hope. What started out as a sandwich delivery for a 17-year-old shepherd named David ended up in a a battle that we're still talking about today, in in a victory that went down in history. Here's what I need you to know, that your day today, walking into a gymnasium, all decorated for Christmas, is going to be a turning point in your battle. It's going to be a victory that changes the course of your history. See, that Jesus that was born in that manger, in that stable, in that little town called Bethlehem, he, he, he came on a rescue mission. Exactly to where you are right now. And I guess I need you to know that if you were the only one in history who needed to be rescued from the darkness, he would have come just for you. And then he grew up and he died on a Roman cross. The Bible says that he, he died for the forgiveness of our sins. Do you understand the power of that? That Jesus came to look after the pain of your unchangeable past. Like you don't have to drag that baggage around with you anymore. You don't have to drag those regrets around with you anymore. You don't have to drag that shame around with you anymore. You can give it to him. He died so that you could be forgiven completely and totally and eternally. And if you were the only one in history who needed to be forgiven, here's the crazy thing. He would have died just for you. And then he rose again. He stepped out of that tomb. And his invitation has always been the same. He invites you, he invites me to follow him out of darkness and into light. I'm not saying that every circumstance in your life is going to change. I don't mean that. But, But I do know this. You don't have to spend a single second ever again feeling hopeless. 
You, you don't have to spend a single second ever again feeling alone, feeling overwhelmed. He, he gives you strength for today. He gives you hope for tomorrow, that he'll be with you every single step of the way. And, and, and the Bible says we can cast our fears on him. You understand the power of that? What, what it means is that we don't have to fear the future anymore. We, we don't even have to fear death. Jesus defeated death. And, and, and what that means is when you follow him, death for you is not termination. It's, it's a transition into a place that Jesus says he's going to prepare for you. Heaven. <laughs> it's like the best moments that we have in this life. The best moments. It's like the beginning of the inkling of a taste of what he's prepared for you. Absolute adventure. Absolute joy. Absolute fun. Absolute love. Eternally. <laughs> if you were the only one who needed his resurrection power, his salvation, he would have rose again just for you. It's amazing. What started out as walking into a gym past a 30-foot Christmas tree, all decorated for Christmas, is actually going to be a turning point in your battle, a victory that's going to change the course of your history. See, I don't know what the world has come after you with this year. Anxiety, addiction, despair, exhaustion, darkness. But I come to you today with a name above all names, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. His name is Emmanuel. And he's with you. And he's for you. Darkness? <laughs> Darkness is in trouble. Just doesn't know it yet. As we close today, just would ask you to take a moment of personal reflection. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes, that'd be very much appreciated. Here's the thing about Jesus. He did it all. He came into human history. He was born, he died, he rose again to pay the price for your salvation. So there's nothing that you have to do to achieve his love, to achieve his forgiveness, to achieve his salvation at all. All you do need to do, though, is receive it. No matter how low you feel today, just lift up your hand and, 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 and ask him to lift you up. So I want to pray for you. On December 22nd, 2019, <laughs> the day that the tide has turned in your battle, a victory that'll alter the course of your history. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if today is the day you want to invite Jesus, you want to receive his gift of salvation and strength and eternity, can you just raise your hand right now because I want to pray for you right now. That's all. Nice and high if you don't mind. That's awesome. 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 Okay, if you just raised your hand, I'm going to pray out loud and I'm going to invite you to just kind of pray in your heart with me. Yeah, you, you can put your hands down. That's awesome. Thank you. Dear Jesus, I'm so thankful that what started out in a manger in a stable in David's hometown ended in an empty tomb. So today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior. Thank you that you died for me. 
I hand you all my regret and all my shame and, and all my baggage, and I give it to you. And today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord. I can't handle this darkness all by myself, so I pray for your strength and your power to give me the ability to walk into your light one next step at a time. Jesus, I pray in gratitude today that if I was the only one in history <laughs> that needed all this, you would have done it for me. I give you my life. I'm thankful in your name. Amen. Let's celebrate, church. Let's celebrate. I, I know it was said earlier, but I kind of want to repeat it. On, on January 5th, we're launching a new series called Now. I believe it's going to be the best series that we've ever had. I would ask you, before the end of the day, after you've collected your $10 Starbucks, okay, um, put it in your calendar. See, here's what I think. I, I, I think we should start living the life that we were created to live, not sometime, but right now. And you don't want to miss a second of it. Why don't you stand as the band closes us? Hey, thanks so much for watching today. Why don't you come join us at any of our four Sunday services? We meet at Sardis Secondary School in Chilliwack, British Columbia. And for more info, you can visit southsidelife.com.